I paint a perfect picture, pictures ain't my thing But I could put a story in your head and open up your eyes So listen close, this one is for my brothers, sisters, cousins, all humans Okay, so we're back with the Juby Take. I'm Steve. I'm Adam. And today, we just finished watching uh, the Oregon-Washington game, so uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, and uh, needless to say, we're pretty excited about the outcome. Yeah, you know, we just did, we, we decided we were going to do a podcast today after the game, and the <laughs> I guess the topic was dependent on who won. Yes, absolutely. Because it would not be a fun podcast if the uh, Ducks lost. I don't think he, that the the fans and and the people listening would have enjoyed us just sitting here griping about what we didn't like we would have done a lot of that there would have been a lot of yelling you know getting the the levels right would have been difficult right yeah there were there were just a lot of things that uh, would have gone totally wrong with that podcast but uh that's not where we are that's not the case we definitely came out on top on this one in an overtime game won 30 to 27 what a game it was a fantastic game it was back and forth tied at halftime uh, tied at the end of the third quarter, tied yeah. at the end of regulation. Right. And we held them to a field goal, and then we scored a touchdown. You know, I don't know how it was for a Washington fan watching that game, but... Well, as, but we don't care. As an Oregon fan, uh, that's a good point. But but as an Oregon fan, uh, it was it was kind of hard. It was, it was uh, hard, uh, I think, you know, for us due to some of the calls that were being being made against us. Right, um, yeah. Of course, the officiating. And if anybody's ever watched any kind of sporting event with uh, the Jubies, and specifically me, I guess, I notice these things, and they become troublesome. And I have a tendency to make a comment from time to time about uh, the unfairness of of some of the calls. There were some that I, you know, I sometimes I agree. You can be a little over the top with that and, you know, no, no one's perfect. No. But I would say that today you were, it was legitimate. You were justified. Okay. All right. Backed up. Nice. Got you today. All right. Well, you know, and the crazy thing about it, you know, again, it's just, it was a back and forth game and, yeah. and they're both ranked in the nation. Right. 17th you versus the seventh. Seventh. Washington was the seventh rated team in the nation. You know, it came down to uh, Washington having a field goal attempt at the end of regulation, and it was a relatively short field goal. I think it was like 34 yards or something. It wasn't very long. Right, no, I don't it wasn't. exactly how long it was. No. But it's it's one you expect to make at the major college level. He should level have made it. If you want to, you know, be considered for national championship and, and winning the Pac-12, you know, you should be able to make that. Right. And uh, it, was, it was fun because there's... They ran it down to three seconds. Right. So there was no going to be no time left on the clock. So this was win or go to overtime. And Cristobal, uh, the Oregon coach, called two timeouts when they were lined up. Icing the kicker. Icing the kicker. It's been done a lot before. The first one, he called timeout, uh, and they went ahead and kicked it, and the kid missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next time, he called timeout. They went ahead with the play, and he made it. Yep. But they called timeout. But there was timeout, so it didn't count. And then the third time, he... Uh, Shanked it off to the right? Yeah, he, he, he pulled it. Actually, he's left-footed kicker. Oh, yeah. So he pulled it, you know, and missed it by about two feet. So now off to overtime we went. You know, it, it was well played. I think both teams are very good. I agree. There were great plays on both sides of the ball. Jake Browning is an elite college quarterback. Yeah. You know, he might need 
some work and needs some luck to get into the NFL and be successful there. But that's another podcast. But I think that he, you know, as, as a college quarterback, he made some plays tonight that were great. In the second half, he really came alive. You know, um, at one point he was nine and 10 for 146 yards, where in the first half he, you know, was seven for 14. So he definitely yeah. picked up his, you know. No, he did make some good throws. And there yeah. was a, a couple that the duck defenders were within Just out of eyelash of, of making a play or even an interception. And it just, you know, it was right where it needed to be, I guess. Right. And, and even, so they were big plays. Even yeah, the announcers true. were mentioning that, you know, they were dangerous plays. But, I mean, if you make the dangerous plays, doesn't that make you great? No. Okay. <laughs> They're still dangerous, whether they work or not. Right. But and and that therein lies the issue with, you know, a quarterback that doesn't have a particularly strong arm and he makes some of those throws. Right. Throwing across his body, different you know, things the, like that. The first series of the game. Right. Uh, he was under pressure and and made one of those throws. It's like, okay, I've got a guy out there that looks open, but because he doesn't have that strong arm, he kind of lofted one up and we picked it off. Right. And went down and got our first three points. So the interesting thing about college football this year is that, you know, it's, it's almost like the NFL in that, you know, different teams are just getting knocked off. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, you know, yeah, you have your Alabama, your Georgia's, I mean, Georgia lost today. Georgia got smoked today by they, LSU. They really did. It wasn't even close. Now, Alabama, but again, Alabama plays an SEC schedule, so they'll have three Probably three, I would say, fairly tough games in right. their season, and the rest of them are all cupcakes. Exactly. And when you have an incredibly talented team, and Alabama is, right? I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Alabama, right? But they do pretty much have, you know, one of those schedules that, you know, they're not playing anybody that has a chance to beat them, except for those few weekends. Right. No, there's, yeah, there's very select few weekends that Alabama has that opportunity to get that L. But, you know, um, I would just say that there's, you know, other than those few couple of teams that maybe have those situations, you know, it is, it's wide open going all the way down. There's, there's a lot of upsets, a lot of teams that are um, surprising in both fashions, you know, some that are disappointing, some that are, you know, um, really stepping up and playing better than they thought Washington state being one that isn't ranked yet, but five and one, I don't know exactly uh, if they've played very much <laughs> talent as far as pac 12 yet or beaten anyone. No. Really. And the thing about Washington state is if you have to play, which we do next week, we have to play them in Pullman, right? They are very difficult there, but on the road, they're, they're definitely a beatable team. Yeah. And I hope talking about next week that we don't, have any lingering injuries from this week right we had a couple of uh, key players that uh, had to go and sit out for most of the game uh sewell yeah, yeah sewell went out Our came offensive. back in and then went out again right uh but we're very dead you know deep at the offensive line right you know so you know if if we're you know you never want injuries right but if we're going to have an injury that's an area that we could probably withstand right but then you have, you know, Dallas Womack and you have Jordan Scott, who was there in the last play, but was out previous to that. So, you know, is that something that maybe will linger? We'll, we'll have to wait for the rest of the week to see and see well, what they comes thought out. he was cramping. Oh, OK. Jordan Scott. So, no, we've been pretty lucky this year with injuries. We haven't had 
you know, certainly last year we lost Herbert and that, that, that pretty was much huge. That was sealed our season basically yeah, ruined things. But you know, again, what I liked about what I see with, with Oregon is, is the discipline, you know, you, we don't have the, you know, we were the worst in the country last year in penalties. We averaged 10 penalties a game. Right. And tonight was probably our worst game as far as penalties goes. But again, the officiating in our eyes possibly Not swayed good. that a little bit. Yeah. There was, there was a bunch of, of plays that it looked like something could be called and wasn't. Right. And there were some that, that uh, shouldn't be called, but were. Right. And so, you know, I, but I like the discipline of the team. I like the physicality of the team. Right. No, that's huge. The game plan, obviously, you know, we, the time of possession, and they, they talk about this, the fact that Washington normally leads in time of possession against anybody they play. And I didn't see the final numbers, but it was very close. It right. was virtually the same. And we took these long sustained drives. It's not what we're used to seeing from Oregon or what anyone's used to seeing. No. I mean, yeah. but we expected, I think, this a little bit more this year because of Cristobal's football philosophy and coaching philosophy coming in. Right. It's It definitely is different. It's, it's not that, you know, a million miles an hour of uh, Chip Kelly and then uh, Mark Hilfrich tried to emulate that and failed horribly, but that has its own problems. Right. And it's always been talked about with Chip Kelly and, and the way that he runs a team, you know, does it take its toll on the defense? You know, today our defense really stepped up at the end of the game, you know, stopping the Washington in the end of regulation and making them try that field goal. And would they have been able to do such a thing if we were scoring 30 second touchdowns? Right. Or just not having a long time of possession. Right, because you end up with a tired defense at the end of the game. Right. We found yeah. that a lot playing against Stanford over the last couple of years. So, you know, and then also in, in overtime, you know, they had first and goal at the eight-yard line in overtime, and we held them to a field goal. Yeah. So, you know, there's just a lot of positives from this. I there's totally a, agree. A lot of things, you know, I like Cristobal. I like the things that he says. You know, it's, it's very much uh, about being open and honest and, really empowering the kids, but getting them to commit. You know, one of the things I like he talks about is, it, you know, you can't play with emotion. You have to play with passion. Right. You know, you'll lose emotion. You know, you can get really high and excited and emotional about something, but then that will dissipate. Right. And you're left kind of, you know, down at that point. But passion is every play. Right. You know, he talks about that a lot. And I like that. You know, I, I think that that's really a very positive thing. No, absolutely. I know you were talking about kind of the similarities between him and Coach Dana Altman, you know, for the Duck basketball team and how both of them kind of have that almost calm, collective demeanor when they need to. And then, you know, obviously when the game's going on, they have that passion and they have that kind right. of uh, drive that, that that is infectious, but again, probably, you know, able to keep that collective Feel. Well, the intensity, yeah, they're they're definitely both in, intense, and I think that they're fundamentally sound. Yeah, both of them understand in their respective sports how to win. You know, you you've got to teach the players. The players are ones that win the game, and so you know we've seen with Altman over the years. You know, he has the teams that are very successful seem to be the teams that listen to what he's telling them. Right, the people that buy in and you know, play the way that he wants them to play because he's, you know, he's a student of the game. He really knows what he's looking at. 
and the, the small nuances that, that make the difference. And I get the same thing from Cristobal. You know, Cristobal is an offensive lineman. Right. He, you know, his, his claim to fame has been, you know, an offensive line coach. So it's the trenches. Yeah. You know? And he understands that it's the, you know, it's the front of your offense and the front on your defense that really, you know, sets the tone and makes the difference. Being physical. Yeah, you can have the fastest guy back at the running back, but if you don't have guys that can create holes, he's not going anywhere. Right. You know, huge win, you know, after the the debacle that we had with Stanford. I know oh. it's I think it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a podcast. We've yep. kind of been slacking and it's all Adam's fault. But the uh <laughs> the thing is is that we had that really difficult overtime loss against Stanford. Yeah, that was you know, tough. We had the game one. We Being played, up by seventeen at halftime. Yeah, we outplayed them and there were some fluke plays that happened. You yeah. know, we're about to score. We're about to go up thirty one to nothing and we snap the ball over the quarterback's head. He fumble, you know, he trips trying to pick it up. Somebody picks it up and goes, you know, 93 yards yeah. for a touchdown. And then all of a sudden they're back in the game and then they score again. And Stanford's a good team. So bam, you know, now it's it's not a route. It's a tough game. And yeah, I mean, that, that game is completely different. If that ball is not hiked over the head, well, we're able to at least convert three points off that and they don't get in that kind of position to score. Exactly. And well, you know, it brought them back in the game and got them to believe. And then, you know, again, at halftime, you know, we're up 17 points. We're, we're playing really well. And there's just a couple big plays and they get back into it and it's winding down and there's, you know, a minute to go in the game. And we're, you know, we're looking at this situation of, okay, do we run out the clock? You know, we make a, a run on first down, you know, we get eight yards. Right. So it's second, you know, it's second and two. It's close to whether we can take a knee. They have one timeout left. You know, do we run out the clock and punt? And, you know, we decided to, to go ahead and run it off tackle. We've been running on them all day long and we fumble. You know, it's, a, it's just one of those plays that the only th way you're going to lose this game is to fumble the ball. Right. You know, you can take a knee, you know, two more times and then punt the ball and they'll have about eight seconds left to go in the game. Yep. Okay, gosh, do I wish we hadn't done that? Yeah. Yeah. But you don't expect it. No. And so they go down and, you know, kick a field goal to tie the game at that point. And then we go into overtime and they win. Yeah. It was brutal. It's devastating because now we're looking at, okay, we have that loss and Stanford has since lost two games from that. So they're not the elite, you know, top five team that they would be if they were undefeated. Right. So that defeat doesn't look that good. Now we've beaten Washington, and by all accounts, those are our toughest games. Right. And so if we went out, we're a one-loss team with a game <laughs> we should have won, that yep. we totally outplayed the opponent, but it's a loss. No. So it'll be interesting to see the rest of the year, you know, how things go. Absolutely, and that would have been very interesting if we would have, you know, beaten Stanford and, you know... Um, what this game maybe would have meant a little bit more, you know, oh, it, you, it would have been, you it, win the Stanford game and then you win this game. Yeah. And you know, the schedule was good for us. They're both at home. Right. So now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're a top 10 program and you're the odds on favorite to, uh, you know, maybe go to the playoff. Right. If, if you win out. Totally. So there's, there's an interesting game tonight. You're talking about, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 and and also in college football this year, kind of you know things are kind of 
a little bit off or weird. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some teams that are undefeated that, that I don't necessarily think are all that good. Right. Okay. But that's because I hate the programs and it's kind of the way I roll. <laughs> it's mute who they have on their roster. They're just, well, yeah, how good. good they are. doesn't matter. I just don't think they are, <laughs> you know, Notre Dame being one of them. Uh, but Colorado plays USC tonight. Yeah. And Colorado's undefeated, which is interesting. And they've, they've played well. They weren't, they were expected to be one of the bottom teams yeah. in the Pac-12 this year. And so this is their first real big test. Right. No, this is... Uh, they've never beaten uh, USC. Wow. In, uh, I, I don't think ever, but I know they haven't in... Since, since they've joined the Pac-12? Since they've joined the Pac-12. So that would be a big win for them. If that they could go huge. down and beat USC, now they're you know, an undefeated you know, six-win team that uh, has to be taken seriously. Man, you know, it's got to be hard to be a USC fan these days. You yeah. know, just not having the kind of legacy that is USC, the players, the Heisman winners, the championships for so many years. They were so great. I mean, you've talked about them in their heyday as being this almost mythical team where, you know, their third string running back would start for any team in the nation. Well, yeah, back in those days, yeah, uh, it was a different situation. You, you know that you didn't have the same limitations on scholarships, right? And they stockpile players. Yeah, they they could uh, they could field a team. You know, back in their heyday of winning the the Pac eight and the Pac ten, uh, they could field probably the second best team in the conference off their bench. Dang, you know that's how deep they were. They were very dominant. Yeah, and you know guys would stay around. You know, again, it's a different time. You know, players would stay around and play as a junior if they were really talented. And sometimes, you know, they would be there for four years and play, you know, or five years with a redshirt year yeah, and play their senior year. You know, now if kids don't play as freshmen, um, they're off somewhere else. Right. They're, they're not going to want to be there if they're not able to get snaps. I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, the idea that that's, that's the USC, you know, the history. Right. And of course, you know, Pete Carroll and his ability to cheat uh, is gone as well. That's you know, so he, true. <laughs> he's taking his cheating ways on to the NFL. Man, they just used to be so dominant as we're talking about, regardless of how they did it. And, yeah. you know, now there seems to be on the bottom of the pile. Or not the complete bottom, but they're, well, they're down there. Yeah, they've, they've come back to the pack, basically. Right? Exactly. You know, nobody's afraid of them anymore. Yeah, and really, I'm I'm not really sure there's a team that anyone's truly afraid of in the Pac-12 at all. Yeah, the Ducks. They Ooh, better be. They should be now. Yeah. So again, that you know, a great day. We had a, a nice road win last week. Yeah. Um, you know, so the Ducks are five and one now. We go to Washington State, and then we go to Arizona. Ooh. So we have two road games in a row. So that will test us as well because you know Washington State and Pullman, Washington, is a very difficult t- place to play. Absolutely. And then, and being that that's the first game, I'm glad because if that was the second game on the road trip, I'd be a little worried about just how the team reacts to being away for so long and, and you know, traveling like that. Yeah. Going, can take going down there and then uh, we, we never really play well in Tucson. That's yeah. We, we, we saw it thing. firsthand. Yeah, we did. For whatever reason, I'm not quite sure why we don't play well down there, but we just don't. And hopefully we will this time. You know, and, and again, it's the approach of the head coach. You know, yeah. don't let te- your team get too high. 
or too low. You know, you try to maintain and now it's back to work. Right. I think that whether you win or lose, hopefully can, can bring them in ready to go. I think that that's a, a huge change from the team over the last decade or so of, of the ducks and the, the coaches that we've been through, you know, Cristobal, we've talked about his composure, but I also think that he just, he's such a football guy Yeah, that he, he just knows what he's doing and you feel confident with him. You feel comfortable that he's going to make the right plays and he's going to be able to, you know, he's been there, done that. He's going to be able to get the team in the right mindset because he knows where they need to be or, you know, where even where they're at now or where they would be going because he's been there, has that experience. Right. As a player at, at Miami uh, during their heyday, it was very successful, uh, won a national championship uh, under Jimmy Johnson. And then the uh, NASCAR driver? No. Okay. But then, you know, his, his coaching career, you know, he has been a head football coach and had some success, but not right as much as he would have liked. I believe it's Central Florida. Yeah. And then, you know, the four, four years before he, he came to Oregon, he was at Alabama with Saban and won national championships there. And he was the offensive line coach and part of that winning culture. And but you see how the program works, how right. Saban is able to sustain it year after year. Right. And it's, it's not only, and I, this is one of the things that, that, you know, when I mentioned that I liked, you know, Altman and, and Cristobal and I see some similarities to them is it's not just getting a player that has a high number next to his name. You know, it's not a four star, five star. They try to get the right players. Right. They try to get players that fit into what they're trying to do, that want to be here. Exactly. We've dealt with that in basketball, and we've also dealt with that in football, where we've gotten players that don't particularly want to be here, you know, here being Eugene. Right. It, you know, that it kind of goes sideways. You know, you don't get, you know, the passion and the commitment to the program. Right. That you get from a player that, that you know, really enjoys the town, the fan base, the facilities, the way that the team plays. It buys in to what's going on there and is able to give 100% of themselves. Yeah, that commitment. You know, that's what's really big is is wanting to be there. So, you know, they're both, Altman and Cristobal are great recruiters and their staffs are great recruiting staffs. Right. But they seem to bring in the players that want to be here and want to play. I, I yeah. agree. That's the maybe not quite as much in some of the transfers in the basketball team last year, which we've talked about personally at length and probably on the podcast at some point, but yeah, you know that there were a couple of players last year that I felt weren't that, which was pretty uncharacteristic of Altman and of, uh, of the program that was kind of weird. And I, I didn't like it at all. Yeah. But no, I definitely well, agree. You have definitely an underachieving team last year. Yes, 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 and that maybe that had something to do with it. If if they were winning games, maybe it would have been a different story. But this year, you know, again, we've got basketball starting up. Yeah, uh, you know, not just Oregon, but the Blazers as well. Right, got that NBA basketball starting this week. Right, so that uh, what nine month season gets started. Right, this yeah. week there's they'll still be playing in June. Yeah. <laughs> So hey, that's, I love it. That's crazy. That's, it. you know, that's not just a marathon. It's a triathlon. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, you know, we're, you know, obviously excited about that. Uh, excited about the Oregon basketball team. 
and what they can do. You know, it just, it's, it's Oregon, the University of Oregon as an athletic, as a group, you know, you look at, at the, you know, the men's basketball team is picked to, to win the Pac-12. The women's basketball team is picked to win the Pac-12. Right. Oregon's football is right in there. You know, there's in as good a position as anybody right now to win the Pac-12. No, absolutely. The interesting thing is, you know, how they do beyond that. Because in recent years, the Pac-12 has not looked good nationally. No, it really hasn't on a lot of fronts. I, well, I would say the, the big the big sports, you know, being the, the football, basketball, even baseball. I mean, baseball, we've actually been pretty good. You know, stuff like track and field. Obviously, Oregon's huge with that. Actually, the Pac-12 we're talking about. So, yeah, I think Oregon State, did they win the College World Series last year? I believe they were in it, but I don't. Well, I know they were in it, and I thought that they won it. Oh, right. So I mean, there's, but, but as far as those big sports are concerned, or the well, yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about. Sports. Is you know the football bowl season last year, you know Utah won, and I believe seven other teams lost, including us. Right in the NCAA tournament, you know, last year we didn't get in. Uh, I think there were two teams from the Pac-12. Yeah. Both lost immediately. Yeah, they lost their first game. Yeah, one of them was Arizona, who I think lost their qualifying match or something like that. Yeah, it was ugly. So on that stage, we haven't done well in bowl games or in the NCAA tournament. At least last year, you know, the year before, we went to the Final Four. Right. And that was quite a ride. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's everybody has a short memory. You know, I think the Pac-12 has won more national championships than any other conference. That's why they're called the Conference of Champions. Just right. Ask Bill Walton. What were some of the things today that that you liked about the game? Um, I mean, I've really have enjoyed, and it kind of falls into what I've, has happened this year. But I've really enjoyed the defense and the pressure that we bring. Um, you know, you saw it in that first drive when we talked about that pick that happened. Well. That happened because, you know, we're rushing five and, you know, we have a couple guys break loose and basically get in Jake Browning's face. He tosses one over the center and, you know, we pick it. But it's just getting that pressure. For so many years, we've rushed three, you know, changing that philosophy to, you know, and thank God for Jim Levitt for for coming in and, and helping out with that. But since he's came in, our defense has been looking better and better. So I would say that the defense and the mainly the pressure with the defense is something that stood out to me that I really really enjoyed and um, have continued to enjoy this this year. You know, as much as I want to say it was a negative, we won the game, but I, I I would say that it was a positive of the connection between Dylan Mitchell and Justin Herbert. You know, he 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 looked at him. He never really looked him off against an NFL caliber team. You're going to get picked off all day long if you focus on one run, uh, wide receiver. But, you know, it was able to work today, you know, to our advantage, and we ended up able to win. But, you know, just uh, Mitchell is, is uh, has great hands, runs great routes, and Herbert, you know, obviously recognizes that. So the interesting part of that is you look at the fact that, okay, it looks like he's just targeting Mitchell all the time. Right. And you want him to spread the ball around and get other people involved. But then if you do have that go-to receiver, you know, as long as it doesn't, there were a couple times, and I did, I commented during the game, 
that it just seemed like that's it. That's the only person he was looking at, and he was throwing into coverage. That was what killed it. Trying to get it to him. And, you know, yes, Dylan Mitchell can make some, you know, some really great catches, you know, and acrobatic stuff over the top of people and, and great hands like you mentioned. But if you fixate too much on any one receiver, then all of a sudden the defense, you know, that if they You're take showing that your away, hand, right. You know, you have to be able to come off of that. So I, I totally agree. I think that that's something that, you know, we need to get some of the other guys involved, but if it works, I guess. It's nice to have a go-to guy, yeah. you know, I mean, and that's something that Oregon hasn't had for, you know, a couple of years. I mean, you know, last couple of years, you could say it was Charles Nelson, or last year, even just Charles Nelson, yeah. but you know he was injured for part of it, and when he was there, he wasn't a big focus. So it's just never, it hasn't really seemed like it for a couple of years now, and it's really nice to to feel that we have a go to. Well, probably the last person was Darren Carrington, right? Yeah, was the guy that you know would would get eight or ten catches and you know over a hundred yards in a game, right? You know, the interesting thing for me with the game plan is that you know we were committed to running the ball. We were committed to being physical and there might be differences in the nuance and the way it's blocked, but it looked like kind of the same play out of the pistol, you know, the read option up the middle. Right. And we ran it a lot. And I mean, part of that has to go into the game plan of what you were talking about of possession of time and being able to hold onto the ball, you know, run it up the middle, get three to five yards and, you know, continue to trug along as you're burning the clock. Yeah, and I think that's one of the differences is is Cristobal really seriously thinks about the fact that you know I want uh, I want my defense off the off the field. You know I don't want to get into track meet like we were talking about earlier. Right. You know I respect that, and he wants to be physical and he wants to push people around. And our offensive line is probably one of the biggest strengths right. of the team. That super is super deep, and they're they are big, and they are physical, and they they do push people around, and they do wear people down. You know, again, we're kind of used to watching one thing of, you know, the Chip Kelly era, at least, where, you know, somebody would go plotting down, you know, Stanford would, would take all day going down and they'd get an 11-minute drive and score a touchdown. And, you know, 90 seconds later, we've scored and kicked off. Right. And now the the defense that was just on the field for 12 minutes, you know, is, yeah. is now back on the field for another 10 minutes. Well, and that's the thing. If they can't get off the field with well, 10 that, minutes of play with that kind of, you know, with that kind of philosophy, you know, it works if your defense can get off the field and then all of a sudden now you score again and, and the team, you change the way teams play because you build up that quick lead. But if they're having long drives and scoring and you're scoring quickly, you will kill your defense. Yep. There's just no other way. Absolutely. And I think that the Oregon in the last little bits of with Halfridge and with Mariota being there, I think they started to recognize that and started to try to adjust um, accordingly. But So, you know, I mean, looking at Herbert, okay, he was 18 for 32 for 202 yards. That's not going to be a stat line that, that somebody's going to look at, you know, in, in Georgia and go, wow, that guy must be the best quarterback in the world. Right. But – you know, it's he, he scored uh, through for two touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. He was sacked once, right? Was Pretty good decision making, right? Good, good pocket presence. Uh, new one to get rid of the ball. New one to get out of the pocket. For the most part, I mean, there was yeah. He's he's fairly mobile. 
Okay, so of 32 passes, 15, so almost half, were targeted to Dylan Mitchell. Wow. And he had eight receptions for 119 yards, none bigger than, than the third down in overtime, third down reception. That was so huge. That he made that put us into position to... Third and 11, was it? Yeah. That you know we had to somehow make that, which yeah, is crazy. Yeah, we had a, a holding penalty that, that put us back, and, and so... Uh, that was a huge play. Was that the one where they actually had a holding on them that we declined? No. No, no that was different. Okay. No, there was no penalty on that one. Right, okay. You know, that was the one that, you know, it was off on the... Oh, on the right hash mark. Okay. Right hash mark, and, and he caught it, gained in a couple more yards, and they kind of jumped on top of him and wouldn't let him up. Yeah. Should have been a flag. <laughs> it, you know, it's a, it's a solid game. You know, again, we, we put the ball on the ground. It seems like we do that in every game. Seems, I mean, we we lead the Pac-12 in rushing yards, but per game. But I would say that we don't have any dominant running backs. You know, our running backs. We have good running backs. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, four that we play regularly. But um, I think we've kind of cut it down to uh, Tony Burke James has kind of worked his way out of the rotation. Right. He just Maybe. can't hold on to the ball. Well, yeah. I mean, it, he's he's running back kicks. Right. You know, but they're down to Verdell and Travis Dye. You yep. know, they they do a good job. They and do. They're a pretty good one-two punch, I think. I mean, uh, Verdell needs to pick up his feet a little bit. And be able Every to, once in a while, he seems to get tripped up. With, yeah. But, uh, you know, Travis Dye has that little burst of speed that Verdell, you know, has more of a power kind of game going to it with him. Right. So. Travis Dye just looks like he shouldn't necessarily be out there with those big boys. Yeah. He, you know, he's a true freshman. He's shifty, though. You know, Verdell is a redshirt freshman, so he was in the program last year. But Travis Dye, yeah, he's just, he's elusive in the hole. You know, right. he's, he's elusive, kind of what they talk about uh, with the Washington uh, running back is just slippery. Gaskin. Yeah, Gaskin. It seems like, you know, he's, he just, he makes you miss in the hole, which is not easy to do. You've got to, you know, be very shifty and... right. And you have to be strong because you have to, you know, run through those you right. know, arm tackles. You can't just allow an arm to, to make your leg move backwards. You got to power through it. Yeah. And he did a nice job. And, and they do, you know, it's C.J. Verdell, you know, I think he played most of the first half. And then Travis Dye comes in in the second half. Right. I like that. I like bringing the speed guy in in the second half. You know, wear him down with the power guy and then bringing the speed in the second half to try to take advantage of being worn down. Well, you know, and we've done that in the past, and, and there's not that much difference between the two. I think that C.J. Verdell is like, you know, 204, and Travis Dye is 197. Yeah, and, you know, maybe not even in the the weight, or but just the, the style of play. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Verdell um, does run... It seems with more power. He just seems to, I think, run, yeah, a little bit more downhill where um, you look at, at Travis Dye and he seems to try to find the crease or try to go around people um, a little bit more. Now, granted, he does go through the tackles, but yeah, um, I think that that's just kind of the, the slight difference between them. So one of the big questions is going to be, is Herbert going to come back next year? Now, I know we're only halfway through the season. Right. And not then- even halfway through the season and you know there's he's a lot of talk well he's projected as the number one quarterback and possibly the number one overall pick right and there's pretty much pro scouts at every practice now yeah and certainly at john elway 
was at the game today. Yeah. He's the general manager of the Broncos? Yeah, he's the general manager and face of the franchise of, yeah. of the Denver Broncos. Right. So he's obviously interested. And the real question comes, there's there's talk that Herbert wants to come back. He wants to play his senior year. He, he wants to play with his brother. Right. Who is an incoming freshman. Tight end. You know, there, there's that question. It was just like with Mariota. Mariota had a chance at when he was a Richard sophomore that he could have left. Yeah. And he chose to come back for his junior year. Now he left before his senior year, but still, you know, he was projected as, as being a high draft pick. Right. And he chose to come back. Which was huge. Yeah, because, you know, that, that year he came back, we played in the, in the national championship game. If you look at this team and with the incoming class, which right now we're – the number three incoming class. Right. And so you, you know, you look at, at the players coming in plus the players that we have. Right. And the guys that are redshirting now and the depth of the team, because we don't lose a lot of players. We do lose some key players, you know, Jalen Jelks and Justin Hollins and, and there's a, you know, a couple other guys, but there's still a lot of youth on this team. Yeah. We're, we're losing Jelks, but we're gaining about three other linebackers that are, or he's a DN, huh? Yeah, he plays the line, but he also plays outside linebacker. Yeah. We're getting three other guys, you know, that are very highly recruited. Mace Funa being the biggest name there, but Right. Well, that's what I'm saying, you know, not only that those players, but also players that are currently on the roster that can step in and yeah, and that's play. True too. So, you know, wow, it's not like this team is losing a bunch of key skill players. Right. You know, because we're not losing any not Tony enough. Brooks James and he's not playing. You know, he graduates. But all of our running backs, virtually all of our receivers, right, and with some very talented receivers coming in, basically our whole offensive line. Oh yeah, it could be an incredible team, you know. And if Herbert comes back, you know, he, you know, you, again, you take that risk of, you know, well, okay, so, you know, the Matt Leinart is is the poster child for coming back your senior year. He would have been the number one overall pick. Yeah, for his junior year, came back for his senior year. And and they lost to Houston, I mean, lost to Texas in the national championship game. And a lot of his flaws were exposed because it didn't have the same team right. around him. So he went from, you know, that to kind of an also ran into the first round. But then, you know, four years later, he's out, he's of, the out of the NFL. NFL. So I, I don't think you can really look at that and say that's that's a reason not to come back. Right. I'm pretty sure that that uh, Justin Herbert has a lot more talent than Matt Leinart. Uh, yeah. There's, you know, looking at him, Justin Herbert, you know, watching him play, it's very incredible to see the accuracy. I mean, it's a perfect spiral almost every single time. I mean, it's a flick of the wrist. It doesn't seem like he's, you know, just throwing it as hard as he can. No. You no, know, he's... a lot of the time it's just a flick of the wrist and it's a bullet out to wherever it is, whoever it is, right in the numbers or right where it is that they need his accuracy. Just the combination of all of those skills. I mean, his mobility. I have uh, very high expectations for him moving forward, especially once he gets into the NFL. I think he's going to be someone that will be very successful, to be honest with you. Has the potential to be. Right. And like we've talked about before on multiple podcasts and, and certainly in other situations it it really depends in the NFL since it's a business where you go how the tr the team treats you how they handle 
your abilities. There's a lot of things that go into being successful in the NFL, and it's it's not always just pure talent. Right. But, you know, Herbert, I mean, you can see he makes some bad throws, but they know exactly why, you know, because he doesn't have his feet set, because he doesn't, you know, he's just not in the position that he needs to be in. And these are things that he can learn. I think that uh, the coaching staff yeah. at Oregon is is good. I think that he, you know, uh, Arroyo, the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach, is is very good at teaching. Yeah, they develop. And I don't think it would hurt him. The thing anymore, obviously, you can get insurance policies now uh, if you're, you know, obviously going to be a, a high draft pick. You know, so you put out this big insurance policy in case you get hurt, because that's the one thing that can derail, you know, a career is some kind of devastating injury. But other than that, I, I don't see a downside. You know, I, I think that developing and you can never go back to that situation. And that's the thing I keep looking at is that if it's a good situation, if you like being there, and now this is a kid that grew up in Eugene. Right. You know, he he grew up watching the Duck games from a very young age, sitting Idolizing in the stands, them. always wanting to do this. And if there's a chance then, you know, again, we're only halfway through this season and we'll see where it takes us. But if there's a chance maybe to win a national championship for your hometown team, yeah, wouldn't you come back and give it a try? I think I would, but, you know, we'll have to see what the priorities are for him. We do. Maybe we should get him on the podcast. I'm, I'll, I'll make a couple phone calls. Make a couple let's, phone calls. Let's see if we can get him, I can do. get him to call into the show. Yeah, the show, that's for sure. We should probably wait till later in the year, though, because uh, he probably wouldn't wouldn't spill his hand now. Yeah, he's a little little busy. He got a lot to think about. Um, we can talk to him at a different date, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll schedule something up. Nice, but it sure is fun to watch and and win a big game. We haven't had a signature win, and they've talked about that with Herbert. He doesn't have a signature win, right? And today is kind of it for the Oregon program to kind of say that you know, listen, you know, we've been gone for a few years. Not really that long, really, if you look at it. No. You know, we're talking about four years ago, I think we were in the national championship game. Yeah. But as we're fans, we're impatient. Yeah, and exactly. Four years is an eternity. That was huge. Oh, are, you, are you kidding me? I mean, not not being in uh, huge bowl games the last couple of years has been excruciating. Yeah. Man. But this I, game... Once again, I hate to be a USC fan. Yeah. But this game, you know, and as we're sitting there watching it and... You know, it's like, okay, it's a great game. And both teams played really well. And there's some really good things you can take away from it. But, you know, kind of, I tried to to look at it that way after the Stanford game. You know, I'm like, okay, we're, we belong in this game. We belong playing against these guys. And so, okay, I can take that as some solace. Yes, we lost in overtime, but we belong. Right. Well, I couldn't do that again today. Yeah. You know, it's like watching this, you know, the timeouts before this kid tried his field goal. And I'm like, come on, you know, we got to catch a break here at this yeah, point. This, something's this, gotta happen. This kid's not very good. I doubt if he makes half of the field goals he even tries in practice. Well, they were talking about how he was a little rough around the edges. He's very erratic. Yeah. You know, and then okay, so they miss. I'm like, okay, now we're in overtime. We have to win. And then winning that game and what that does, it really validates what Cristobal's trying to do. And, you know, it's a game if you want to be at that level of we're a contender in the Pac-12. We're the level that Oregon has been, you know, really probably for the past 12 or 15 years, at least competitive. You want to get back there. And today, 
getting that win just says that. Right. It was a statement. It's like we we belong in the conversation with playing with anybody. Right. And that's a great place to be because, you know, I've been a Duck fan for a long, long time, and there was a lot of years where that wasn't the case. Oh, yeah. You couldn't even say anything about that, that it was, you know, decision almost whether you were going to <laughs> you know, watch the game. <laughs> well, you, or, you would, you would pray for six wins. Yeah. You know, that was the thing you pray for six wins. So you're bowl eligible. So your season goes on, right. you know, past, past November. Which six games can we possibly win this year? Yeah. I mean, that was the, the benchmark for a long time. And even going back before then, there was a lot of years where six wins was a pipe dream. Yeah. You know, so then it settled to who can you beat? You know, well, if you could beat Oregon state, it's a successful year. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. But that's that was the thought. That was at that least was, we beat Oregon State. That was our standard. Or if you could if you could beat Washington. Right. Okay, you beat Washington and Oregon uh state successful year. That was Even that was though, all we needed. It was yeah, easy back then. Yeah, if you were 2 and 10, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. It was those wins. We won the Northwest. <laughs> so, it's just different now, and it's exciting and fun to to be competitive again. And, you know, the quality of the players, the quality of the coaching staff, and the fact that Cristobal is not interested in going anywhere. Yeah, that's, and you know, it's going to be consistent. And that's the thing that I'm really excited about is the fact that we're not changing things up every year now and we can start building a program back up because Oregon was built on stability. You know, in our national championships, we had coaches that had been there for 20 years. So it's it's definitely something that I want to just kind of have that comfort back. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, there's there's quite a few young assistants on the Oregon coaching staff that are going to get their opportunities to, you know, be coordinators or head coaches. So I think there's going to be some people that are going to kind of go through the program. You know, you're going to lose some coaches. I mean, you look at Alabama and, and with uh, Saban, the number of people that that are assistants with him that are now head coach, head coaches someplace else. And Cristobal is one of those. So I think that there's going to be that. I don't know that we're going to get back to, you know, what we've had in the past where somebody is, is there for 25 or 30 years. No, 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 no. I don't believe so as well. Um, just any kind of uh, consistency because we've had about four head coaches over the last five years. So um, not quite that, but it, no, it seems that way. Three and three years. Right. So, I mean, just having, even if it's just with our head coach, yeah. consistency. Well, even for a couple of years. And gotta say, I think in this this whole Willie Taggart fiasco, he brought Levitt and Salavea and Cristobal to Oregon as assistant coaches for him. They stayed when he left, and I think we got the best end of the deal. Because no, totally. if they would have left and he stayed, no, I wouldn't be happy. Yeah, that would have been a little rough, considering what's going on in Florida State. Yeah, I just don't think that Taggart was going to build a program like Cristobal will, I don't think. And no, no. And I think that it would have been, you know, it would have been close with, with having everyone else and having, um, the, the coaching staff that they have with Willie Taggart there. I think that the coaching staff would still be doing what they're doing and still be helping and, 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 uh, recruiting and, um, putting in, you know, their two cents, but, I just yeah, I agree. Having having Cristobal leading the whole thing is a better case scenario. Well, there just seems to be more discipline 
you know, as we talked about earlier, the idea of, of, you know, being the worst and most penalized team in the nation, you're just, you're, you're, you're going to kill yourself with that. And we're just not that anymore in such a quick time, right? A quick turnaround. The fun part for me is, you know, not only the, the quality of the players, but they genuinely seem to be nice kids. And that's one of the fun things is if you're a fan and all, you know, I listen to all the interviews and see all the stuff that's available and you, you don't have the kids getting into trouble. You know, we haven't had that at all this year. The interviews, the, you get a chance to talk to the kids and they're, they're very competitive, but they're very humble. Right. And respectful. Right. And you know, that's fun for me, you know, being a, you know, an old dude that, you know, the idea of, of respecting the game and respecting the university and respecting your teammates, you know, that's the way it should be done. Well, you don't have to be old to want it that way. You don't have to be old to think that that's the best way about it. You know, I, I, maybe it's just the fact that you raised me that way. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, I think that I've met a lot of people that do think about it that way, but there's a large portion of people out there. Yeah. That it is, uh, it's, it's more about, you know, just, flash and right they like the flash and they like the strutting around and you know they want to they make a play they you know they want to run 10 yards down the field and look at me look at me and point and right and that kind of stuff and and i understand having fun and passion and wanting to play that's a respect for the game but still you know act like that was your intent right that's you know let's let's act like this you're just doing what you were assigned to do and you made a really good play and let your teammates pat you on the back and then line up again and let's go. Right. So that's our, uh, that's our sports philosophy portion of the, of the show today. <laughs> the, you know, the Oregon basketball team, like we mentioned, you know, one of the fun things for us, you know, watching recruiting and, and yes, the, the Oregon basketball team had some kids there today. Uh, and in the next couple of weeks, you know, we're back into getting elite or being in, in the conversation with elite players. Right. And we have two five stars coming in this year with three four stars right. in the freshman class. And it was, you know, rated one of the top classes in the in the country. Yeah, one of the top three. You know, talent is so important, but then, you know, basketball, now hopefully that's gonna change in the next few years, but basketball is such a a bizarre thing because you get the elite elite players, you get the five star players, and these are the one and done guys. We right. had Troy Brown from last year. Right. Who I never thought excelled i you know he's incredibly talented but there was so much of his game that needed to improve and get better but he was one and done the team didn't do anything you know we didn't we didn't go to the tournament and i don't want us to become that you know we do have five kids coming back that have uh played quite a few minutes right and so you know that's the difficult thing about basketball right now and like i say hopefully it changes in the next few years right because a kid doesn't have to make a commitment other than one year and with that, you're back in the same boat every year of trying to incorporate freshmen into your basketball team. Right. It's, it's, it's hard to build a championship-level team off of just pure talent. Um, it's, it's, it's possible. Um, I've seen it happen. You know, there was a Kentucky team one year that went undefeated with four or five freshman recruits um, you know, and, and, and so it's possible it can happen, but it's very rare and, you know, you have to have the right program. You have to have the right coach, which I feel we do 
but again, you have to have the right players and, you know, the situation has to work out. Well, one of the things for me is, you know, obviously we do this podcast and we talk about sports. I know more than people would like us to, but it's kind of why we got into this is the anticipation. You know, it's just thinking about the team next year and thinking about, wow, you know, okay, this kid's going to get better. And, oh, we've got these guys at this position and, you know, we're going to be strong here and strong there. And when you talk about the one and dones or, or kids that are leaving early all the time, you don't have that, you know, it's, it's like, okay, you know, we can look at this year. Okay. We're going to lose Peyton Pritchard and, and white. They're going to graduate Kenny Wooten. You know, if he has the kind of year he had last year or even better, he could go. Oh yeah. No, I mean, he has a, a good, good chance of going actually is what I hear. We could lose, you know, two of the incoming freshmen. You know, so now all of a sudden you're back to, okay, well, who's, who's here? Right. You know, as opposed to back in the day, you know, we had guys that were, you know, played, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, you know, we had some guys that would leave before their senior year, but they were normally around for three years. Right. At least. So like you talk about the, the Kentucky team that you've got four freshmen starting and, you know, one sophomore and they all leave. Right. So you know, you're a basketball fan and yeah, that was great, but they're all gone now. Right. Exactly. So now what, you know, I, I've always, uh, you know, been, it's been weird not being able to build rapport with your team and with the players that you have there. It's obviously you can do it over the year, but when you have multiple years to be able to accomplish that, it's, uh, definitely something that's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's that anticipation, you know, we have almost as much fun in the off season, you know, with, talking about it and can't wait right predicting what we think then then with the uh the actual season right so okay well that's just us rambling and ranting about the washington game and that whole thing about emotion and passion that uh that cristobal talks about that you know emotion will will drain away and passion will stay with you all the time i think we're kind of in the emotion thing today because i'm exhausted a little bit so we're gonna uh, we're gonna end the podcast for today. Okay. And we're definitely going to try to be more consistent. We did really well for a little over a year. Yeah. And uh, we've missed a couple weeks with some technical issues and some other issues, but now we're recommitted and getting back on track. We're gonna get going again. Hope and you guys are ready. Absolutely, man. And and thank everybody that has gone through our website to Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it has helped out a lot, and please continue to do it. All you have to do is go to the jubitake.com website. At the bottom of the page, any of the pages actually, there's a, a place to click on and go to Amazon, and all of your purchases at that point, we get a little kickback, which is, is fun for us, you know, because... Wait, it's that easy? All they have to do is click on it? Click on it. It takes them right to Amazon, just like normal oh my gosh wow that's in, that's incredible oh and shout out to uh to mr mccarty uh because the mccarty family did make a purchase that actually moved the needle for us a little bit we we got a few dollars off of uh of so their purchase talking about mr havarti yeah shim so that makes a big difference you know because we can get uh we can get nicer shinier stuff yeah we appreciate it guys well uh appreciate you dad and if you guys want there's going to be more perspectives later.
you can shop for spreading love But all the wealth obsession Money can't help you see the light In the end you can't buy yourself a Porsche when you're dead Well mama said that I don't gotta be part of the world to truly love Pray for a difficult life to live and rise above it This is the time I'm asked So let's be tasted So let's do everything we can Before I of today point them out to me so i can come and join their rate we'll walk around this land with open hands looking for change we'll want to understand this progression we have at hand humanity is killing wheat for this we will not stand i say let's progress in good contest make conference then love our best our onslaught of love will be at an all-time high crashing like waves on some ponderosa pines our love that makes no sense we who spend love at no expense we are a force of passion creating a new faction taking action working hard just for the satisfactions with the abilities to shine so bright that others want to fight because our light is in their eyes ladies and gentlemen we are the skies don't remain mystified by their lies can't trust us but we will teach you how to be true teach you how to speak the truth but we stand here The spark and we are its tender. We are the good ones, the good ones of today. We're sending out a 